Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. On this episode of Big Boys Don't Cry, we discuss the film Jupiter Ascending. You don't have to have seen the film to enjoy the podcast, but if you do proceed without having seen the film, you should be aware that there are a couple of minor plot spoilers. Enjoy. I see a shirt that is of an inferior baseball team. <laughs> um, unfortunately, as much as I'd like to argue with that, the Red Sox are the top of the American League East right now. The Blue Jays are just below them, and they're above the Yankees, so I'm very happy about that. But, um, yeah. yeah. Got a Blue Jays shirt. Go Blue Jays. Yeah. But not as much as Red Sox, obviously. No. Because Red Sox are now the be-all and end-all of my sporting <laughs> love. <laughs> the evil empire. Yep, that, you know, red people do wear red socks. Uh, evil people do wear red socks. <laughs> red people. I'm sure red people wear red socks as oh, well. You're you're always talking about the red people. You know, just such a racist. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care I'll if you're you black, know. white, red. In fact, that's what that's what a gammon always says, isn't it? It's like I don't see color. I don't care if you're black, white, red, purple, whatever. Just don't. That's because they're all that wonderful shade of just off red. Yeah. <laughs> mauve. Is it mauve? <laughs> yeah, we'll go with that. They give me mauve. Have you seen a lot of them have been complaining that and saying that gammon is a racist term? I know. It makes me laugh every time I see it. I, every time I see that argument, I feel like a little. I'm gaining a little bit of life force from them. <laughs> it's keeping me forever young. Yeah. So we need that. So yeah, gammons, it it is racist, and we are racist towards you. It's where we get our we delib- energy from. <laughs> we are deliberately being racist towards old white men. Yeah, we're gammonists. Um, yeah, we are gammonists. If you're if you're if you're old and irrationally angry about something which could be construed as being quite racist, <laughs> um, and you're an idiot, and you look like a gammon, <laughs> we're being racist against you. Yeah. Us. If you don't agree that people who came here in the Windrush generation should be able to become British citizens, then you're probably a gammon and you're a racist and we're racist towards you. Do two racisms make a non-racism? That's the question. They do if you punch them in the face. <laughs> that that's the law. Is if you're if I, I remember there was lots of when when Richard Spencer got punched in the face, and it's the funniest thing on the internet. Um, I remember there was a lot of terrible think pieces going around about how, oh, is it truly our anti our anti fascists really the fascists? Uh, can you protect free speech by stopping people whose speech infringed on free speech from speaking and all of that bullshit? And, and the answer to that, the answer to that is a yeah. If you're a fascist, you should get punched in the face. <laughs> yeah. B it's really funny when a fascist gets punched in the face. See Richard Spencer and everyone who follows him, they look really stupid. Ergo, it's all right to punch them in the face. Anti-fascists are the real fascists because they punch fascists. Yeah, great, great logic. I heard that in the late 1930s and early 1940s, there was this really bad epidemic of anti-fascists. Yeah. Um, so much so that they heavily infringed 
on Hitler's rights to free speech. And, you know, it's it's a real shame, isn't it? Yeah. That those anti-fascists truly were the fascists. Yeah, it was a real problem at the time that Hitler couldn't go around saying whatever bullshit he wanted to say, am I right? Because there was, there was no attempt at diplomacy at all. Yeah. Um, it was purely went straight to violence against fascists. And, and obviously, you know, violence never works against fascists either. There's no proven no. track record of violence against fascists working incredibly well to stop fascists from doing what they want to do. It's never happened before. Never in the history of anything. Also, I, I asked a gammon earlier today if he defended Ken Livingstone's right to say Hitler at every turn, and he was conspicuously silent. <laughs> was the gammon that you asked Ken Livingstone? <laughs> he is a bit of a gammon, he, isn't he? he? He's the he he is he is the he's the gammon that you get in like an upmarket pub <laughs> where you think that you're gonna get for a go for a gastro pub experience, but then there's just that old piece of gammon there. Him and George Galloway are the two bits oh, of ham God. on a ham and egg platter. <laughs> George Galloway, who was his pitch for um for be he ran to be London mayor in the same race as Sadiq Khan as an independent, and his his pitch. I'm stealing this joke from the political comedian Matt Ford, but his pitch was basically, "Look, you've had two nutters already. Why not make it a third? <laughs> <laughs> Um, um, yeah, George he Galloway, is... well known for being loved by people from London. He is bonkers, George Galloway. He's got about he's had about seven different wives, hasn't he? And he's had kids with all of them. He's yeah, he's a he's a weirdo and kind of racist. Yeah, um, and probably I, if there was any politician in the UK on the left leaning side of things that's gonna be a flat earther. It's going to be George Galloway oh, and Ken Livingstone, isn't Galloway it? Galloway is absolutely a flat earther, yeah. Ken Livingstone like, would be a flat earther if he could somehow relate it back to Hitler. <laughs> well, there's got to be some way. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, for all of the different ideas around flat earth theory, one of them has got to tie into Hitler and the Nazis. Yeah. Hitler was probably a flat earther too. He just had, you know, other things on his mind. You know, other priorities. People are always remembered for the big stuff that they did, aren't they? You know, no, yeah, no one ever remembers Hitler for being so pro-free speech, do they? But in reality, um, no, he truly was a champion of free speech. Um, yeah. Although, it's in in all seriousness, if you look at some of the right-wing press and the way that they treated Hitler, um, it really mirrors those kind of terrible think piece arguments about protecting free speech. And it's like, no, you yeah. don't. You don't protect the free speech of these people. You, you shut them down. You don't invite them onto fucking question time seven out of ten times. Every bloody week, honestly. Um, anyway, yeah. does your Gammon Socks shirt have a name on the back? It does not. Uh. <laughs> Excuse me. I, I like to think that the Red Socks are not a Gammon, <laughs> are not a gammon Club. I'll have you know. They're not a team of the Gammon. The Gammon Club. <laughs> it's like Fight Club. But sweatier, much sweatier, <laughs> sweatier, smellier, and with pork scratchings and mushy exactly. mushy peas. I actually, really, they, really like mushy the, peas. the gammon. The gammon are the kind of people that would read slash watch Fight Club and not get that it's a critique of masculine culture, would they? No, they're the kind of people that would take it at face value and be like, "Yeah, all the modern life's rubbish, and it's making men not men. Let's go blow up some banks." <laughs> Let's go shoot up some people. 
let's go shoot myself in the head because that's definitely not a metaphor for anything whatsoever. It's just a cool thing what people do when they're super masculine. I'm wondering if our American listeners know what we mean by a gammon. I mean, hopefully if you listen to the last few episodes because we, <laughs> we keep coming back to it. But like, yeah, it, well, I wonder if that, that element of British politics has made it over there or if they think we're all just a bunch of tea-drinking, royal-worshipping, quaint Alan Titchmarsh types. <laughs> well, Alan Titchmarsh is definitely a gammon. Yeah, he he is a, he is a genuine gammon. He's a he's a he's a gammon in in kind man kind man's clothing, isn't he? Yeah, because because you know on the face of it, gardening. What's more lovely than gardening? Nothing. But beneath but the beautiful in, rose bush, <laughs> beneath the beautiful rose bush, lurks some hella thorny roots dug into the putrid earth. <laughs> I actually know nothing oh, of his political views, to be fair. I think he's a bit of a gammon. Yeah. Yeah. Entirely likely. Him. He's been saying... At some point, he's said some inane bullshit on Twitter. That, that's as far as I... I heard your fingers typing, are you are you tapping Alan Titchmarsh Gammon into Google? <laughs> I think I will do now. You'll probably get um, like I, a I... Um, Sunday roast option at some pub where he done the garden. Yeah, and he's like, oh, I had some nice gallon after I did up the garden. Um, yeah, no, because um, he he did some kind of non-gardening-based television show, and um, I think it, it rubbed people up the wrong way who thought that he was um, a nice man. Um, yeah. When he said some when he said some rubbish, basically, a bit like Prue Leith, who is now famous for. Um, Great British Bake Off, previously famous for being a good baker. Um, yeah, and then she went on Question Time and said some horrible things. Yeah, inexplicably. Hey, you, you, you're old and you bake stuff good, and you're on a show with Noel Fielding. Let's get you on to talk about politics. That sounds like a brilliant idea, and you're the kind of expert that we should definitely have on this show. And then came out with some of the most absolute rubbish I've ever seen on Question Time. <laughs> and that is saying something. And that is some yeah, that is really something because Question Time is always full of terrible, terrible opinions. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so just stop inviting these people onto sh- these shows, like whether they're left wing or right wing. If you're famous for doing something generally inane, we don't want to hear what your political views are. Yeah, I, I mean, it's I, I used to think that it was okay that you sort of get someone who was maybe there to represent the people rather than just a bunch of stuffy politicians or academics or whatever. But they just get people who know nothing and don't really contribute anything. And you know, there are a lot of academics and economists and people out there on the left and and at the right and some in the centre as well who could provide very balanced and insightful answers to the Dumbo questions of today. Like, why wouldn't Jeremy Corbyn press the button? He's a a danger to us because he wouldn't push the red button and kill everyone. Yeah. Very insightful questioning. It's, it's, yeah. And that's the thing is like, there's, there's some, I think it all comes down to the one person's individual intelligence. And there's nothing to say that someone can't express their political opinion. If you're a, if you're a, if you're a celebrity and you want to talk about politics, fair play, whichever way you swing. No. But like to be invited onto a political panel show, I think you need to have at least some kind of political nuance behind you. 
Yeah. You can't just be an idiot. And it was the same when, like, I know lots of people on the left really loved when Russell Brand was all like, I'm a great revolutionary. Um, but I hated it. I hated, hated, hated it. Really? Because he didn't say anything in, that was I had. I felt had any political substance whatsoever. Well, really irritated. Have you heard any of his recent podcast, Under the Skin, with Russell Brand? No, I have not. It's actually um, very good, and he into he's been interviewing a lot of really prominent left wing academics. One of whom is David Harvey, who I talked about a lot in my thesis, and. Um, he was he was really really good at talking to him, and it was a really really good interview. So I have a bit of time for Russell Brand. I think he's done a lot of dumb nonsense, but his new podcast is good, and he's really really trying hard to sort of to school himself and to to do things that are intellectual rather than just being like, yeah, I'm a revolutionary. I think he's he's working hard to try and intellectualize that. Well, that's good because the last thing that he did of note for me was that he told people that he didn't vote and that people shouldn't vote, which is a really clever thing to do. Yeah, that is in a two-party political system. That is some of the dumbest shit I've ever heard in my life. Um, it definitely was a really good step to, for someone to say that. Well done. But yeah, no, that's good that he's he's trying to do better. But he was around loads, and there was loads of. There was loads of nonsense around about him being like a, a great political voice of a generation. It's just like, really, he's saying stuff that people I knew were saying when they were sixteen. Yeah, having got a beard. Having said all of that, I would let Channing Tatum on question time. As long as he's wearing little dog ears. As, lo- as long as he's a man that is supposedly half human, half dog, but the dog half only manifests itself in ears and the occasional yeah. desire to bite. Yeah. <laughs> Um, there is so much to unpack from Jupiter, which is (laughs) it's set up that he that he like sometimes has this animal instinct to bite people like a dog or a wolf, and then that never comes through, does it? Although the whole thing really is a metaphor about him going to go fetch, but then not dropping the ball Uh, when he was done. The hidden ball trick. Mila Kunis was the ball. (laughs) Channing Tatum collected it. But he would not drop it. Hence yeah. the friction of the plot. <laughs> and then he's like, "Be the ball you want to see in the world." <laughs> so, like one of the, one of the I can't remember which is it is it Titus Abrasax? Titus is the one played by Titus, smooth-faced young your, your young main, boy, your main man, Douglas <laughs> my, Smooth, main, my, my main man, Douglas Smooth. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, so let's let's talk a little bit about about the plot. Of, I I think I'm being unfair Jupiter to Douglas ascended. Booth, but I hate his face. It looks like the face of every <laughs> every person who we went to university with who was bad, and we went to like a university where lots of very very posh people went. Yeah, I, I'd say I'd say that's <laughs> fair. Um, what he's else? not a bad actor, and in fact, his performance in this is definitely better than anything that I else that I have seen him in, which is limited to mostly period dramas that do not interest me. So yeah, I remember you saying that you didn't like um, Great Expectations with him. Yeah, and I I'm not oh, I'm not anti Dickens. Don't get me wrong. Um, I think Dickens was a great social commentator of his time, but um, Pip and Great Expectations isn't supposed to be a handsome man, and he was portrayed as too handsome. He's just too handsome. Uh, I'm not jealous or anything. I'm not a man, man sitting here with a beer gut who is the same height and weight as most of his favourite ball players, except on me it's fat and on them it's muscle. You know, I'm not. I'm not jealous. 
because <laughs> um, because looking at Douglas Booth, I I remember you saying, "Oh, I, I don't like this man," and I, I and I was like thinking, "I swear I've seen him in some stuff that I like," and and that's because in 2016 he was in a pair of movies that I quite like, which is Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Which have you seen Pride and Prejudice and Zombies? I have not. I'd be I'd it's, be open to it. Um, it's very dumb and very fun. Sometime um, when. It, Claire is not around because obviously she thinks it's a crime against literature. It's 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 one of those things where it's incredibly stupid, but at the same time you get so much more out of it if you know Pride and Prejudice. Right. Um. They do it. It's a re- It does a really good job of sort of like incorporating those story elements and then kind of reversing them on and and making them a stupid action horror movie. Um. So it is that, and he's in that, and he's and he's good in that. Um. He's also in the Limehouse Golem. Oh, which, interesting. Which was which was a nice little Victorian mystery horror movie. That um, that was reviewed very favorably by um Mark Kermode, whose opinion I generally trust on films. He's not right about everything, but I like him very much and always he, listen he, to Kermode and Mayo. Yeah, he's a very good barometer of whether a movie's good or not, particularly yeah. when it comes to horror films. He's a real great talent when it comes to identifying good horror movies and on them he gave jupiter ascending three out of five and he said that eddie redmayne's character appears to be being fellated by eternity itself (laughs) 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 really made me chuckle um yeah this movie is is really something special um it's it's completely off the wall nonsense and i kind of love it yeah it's bonkers Um, in the best way yeah, so it the the general story is that Mila Kunis plays Jupiter Jones, who is a cleaning lady in Chicago, isn't it Chicago? That she's it is from? Chicago, yep. Yeah. Um one day she's selling her eggs to make a bit of extra money because that's a thing that happens regularly. Um and, As you do. and a bunch of aliens are about to kill her. Um when a man with dog ears comes in on hover boots and kills all the aliens and is like, come with me, your majesty. Yeah, but this is only after 25 minutes of exposition, though. Yes, yeah. It it, it does start with Russian gangsters killed my dad. I came to America. My life is hard. Here's here's some random people in space being creepy and we don't really know why. And her dad was Um, into space, obviously, because that's... That has to be it. Her dad was like an astronomer. Astronomer. What's the difference? Between... No, astrology is the bullshit science, isn't it? Oh, have you know that <laughs> astrology is one hundred percent fact? <laughs> oh yeah. Sorry, it's um, it's a, a true fact of the flat Earth. Um, people, the, the people of of the world are sick of experts, Paddy, and we're all <laughs> sick of people saying that astrology is not a real science. Yeah. Um, I'll have you know that the next prime minister is going to make all of their decisions in government based on horoscopes. Um, It honestly wouldn't be any worse. (laughs) It wouldn't (laughs) be any worse. And I wish that was a joke, but it's not. It's true. It's the truth. (laughs) What's your star Um, sign? What's my star? I am a Leo. Ah, oh yeah, I, which, I should have known that. Which, I know when your birthday we're, is. We're we're relatively close. I don't know when the star signs drop. Are you a Leo as well, or are you? No, I'm a I'm a I'm a Cancer, pure Cancer. Ah, Crabman. Not I'm not not on the cusp. Are you on the cusp, maybe, of Cancer and I, Leo? I have I have no idea. I don't know when they. There is apparently out. some some. They do say that if you're on the cusp, so there's a window of about four or five days. 
um, where you're on the cusp of both and you get all the good qualities of both. Because no one's ever, no one ever That's has any cool. any of the bad qualities of them. They never have bad qualities because no one's ever bad. No, everybody's great. And I mean, that's a good thing to take away from from astrology and horoscopes is that like you're all everybody's good. It's a nice positive message. It's just a shame that it's entirely based on lies. <laughs> just like the government. Oh, oh. political sector. I just I just realised I'm sitting oh. on the creaky chair. Oh no, there's going to be some creaks. It's too late. I'm not um, gonna. I'm not gonna go and change creaks it now. As creaky as the plot of Jupiter Ascending. Hell no. <laughs> it's um, one of the creakiest plots I've ever seen. That's actually a very it, good word to describe it because it just sort of lurches from one thing to another, and you're like, okay, we're here now. Okay. Oh, there's there's another attack. Oh, and here's here's Sean Bean, and here's a lot of bees. Um. Can I bring up, I was going to bring it up later, but since you brought up the bees, can I bring up my favourite bit of this movie? Yep. Um, where, so Jupiter, uh, played by Mila Kunis, is, is the reincarnation, effectively, of a big, important person in space culture. Um, yep. So she's kind of like, it's kind of like a clone, but not. So her her DNA has been rewritten, and it just happens to have turned up at this point on planet earth but she's an exact replica of the matriarch of this big important space family yeah who's three she's so important children are all fighting each other for some space bullshit or land or whatever the hell it is land or resources or youth juice or whatever the hell it is and then it's basically just an excuse for to drop in some incredibly freudian shit happening over and over and over particularly with eddie redmayne who comes across as a real kind of mummy's boy like space prince mummy's boy character who actually killed his mother um but then obviously regretted it and it's very very weird and very good yes it's it's great i love i love all it's like an idiot's dune it's massive space <laughs> politics and prophecy um it's brilliant um but yeah there's this great line where, where there's this great little moment where they're all on we're all on earth still and and Sean Bean has met up with Channing Tatum, dog-eared Channing Tatum, and Camila Kunis, and um, and uh, they're sort of talking about it. it's like you're you're royalty, aren't you? Um, and 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 Mila Kunis is like, no, but it's like, yes, you are. Have you ever been stung by a bee? <laughs> and Mila Kunis's character Jupiter has never been stung by a bee. And according to space culture, bees automatically know when someone is a royal and will not sting them and I, and this got yeah. me thinking it's like what if this is true can someone ask like prince charles have mm. you ever been stung by a bee can you go beekeeping and not get stung can you just go out and just hold bees he doesn't even need the mask he just wanders right in there yeah he can just wander around right yeah and, and it got me thinking it's like is this true is this real do bees automatically know monarchy because there's that great, I think it's, I think it's Douglas Adams uh, coined the term that the fastest thing in the universe is monarchy. Because as soon as one dies, or immediately the next person becomes the monarch. There's, there's not even. It's faster than the speed of light. There's that immediate zero point thing. So maybe there is something special in science about being a monarch. Maybe they're right. Maybe there is royal blood. I think of a sort. There's only one way to find out, which is to take which is to take a massive beehive to the wedding of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle and throw it at them. 
<laughs> no, no I, I, I have I have time for them because their marriage is really angering the gammons. Yeah. So I'm I'm on board with it being the most incredible wedding of all time. No, I'm I'm happy for them. I'm not happy that we're not getting a public holiday, obviously. But no, I'm mostly happy that the the Prince Harry and Meghan Markle Lifetime movie is out in like less than a month. So we're gonna I'm that's so that's gonna ha- that's gonna happen on this podcast very very soon, and I am delighted. I'm, yes. I'm um, gonna. I'm going to check when it's out. But I, but I think this idea needs to be explored further. Um, and if there's any um, universities out there willing to give us a grant into do royal do members of the royal family get stung by bees, we would be more than happy to help take part. And like you, you kind of wonder, does that go to other kinds of insects that have like a queen? So can they not get bitten by ants? Ah. Yeah, it's it, it raises all these kind of philosophical and scientific questions, really. Um, but yeah, so so she's she's like a clone monarch, clone matriarch. There's three evil kids, kind of, um, and uh, and and everybody in this movie has the best names I've ever seen in a film ever. Yep. Well, they they say Abrasax as if it had a double S, but it's actually one S. So I thought it was Abrasax. But that does sound a bit odd. That's a that's a magical saxophone, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't. I would genuinely would not have been surprised if it just ended with when when Eddie Redmayne falls to his death. If he just suddenly came flying back up playing a magical saxophone, going, "Ah, oh, you didn't account for the abrasax." It's such a mental film that 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 could have happened quite easily. It could have happened quite easily. Um. And and yeah, so so you've got the 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 space royal family that has a surname that sounds like they made their money making kitchen cleaner. Um, you've got Kane have you Wise, tried Abrasax? Have you tried Abrasax? Um, you you've got Kane Wise, Bang, which and is the space dust is sanitated. gone. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I can't stop. Um, and so, like going into this movie, when she said her name was Jupiter, I was like, oh, that's a weird name. But in reality, yep. in comparison to everybody else in the film, she has the most mundane name in the world. Uh, to be fair, it's um, her its her foolish dad's idea to call her Jupiter. And the mum's like, we can't name a child after a planet. That's what you think, mum. <laughs> yeah. Fuck Your you, mum. <laughs> I won't tidy my bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> I won't give my child um, a normal name. <laughs> and uh, Stinger Apini. Yeah. That's uh, Sean Bean. Which That's the best character name. name. Best character name he's had in his career, and he has had a few. He has had a few, and yeah, it's oh, everything about this movie. It's like what what I really love about it is that they built this massive lore into this sci-fi movie that's gonna be a curiosity at most going forward. Like, like, and and it's genuinely like if it was taken out of this context and thrown into like say they made like a completely off the wall tv series out of jupiter ascending for instance um it would be awesome for, for them to explore this really strange like culture in space where you've got these families that live for millennia at a time and the back the backbone of their society is based on creating the resources to live for longer and longer and longer and they do that off the backs of building planets worth of people and then harvesting those people to make the raw like material 
to further their own lives. And it's like, that's such a great idea. And it's really horrible. And it's yeah. exactly the kind of thing that you can imagine happening like on Earth, effectively. It's almost like a big metaphor for taking advantage of people, uh, like rich people taking advantage of the poor people, and like capitalism in general. It's like a really, it's a really horrible, nasty idea. And it's the kind of nasty idea that the Wachowskis like come up with incredibly well all the time. Yeah, definitely. And it's even it's kind of clunkily thrown in there in a bit of kind of cod philosophy, isn't it? There's a there's a bit where Eddie Redmayne has a speech and he literally basically says that, doesn't he? He goes like, oh, yes, it's all about money. and He uses words like capital and machine and stuff. And it's like it's like a, a bit of, you know, a bit of undergraduate philosophy thrown in there, <laughs> which before prior to that. He just randomly shouts, I create life! And he sounds... And ch- I take it away! <laughs> he sounds so Tommy Wiseauian. It really reminded me of that, like, just Tommy Wiseau's incoherent <laughs> shouting. Like, when he goes, do you understand life? <laughs> really, really reminded me of that. But good shouting. But I noticed he was facing it away is- from the camera, because I reckon they tried it with him facing the camera, and it was too weird. It's, yeah, it's, um... (laughs) But it's funny that you you compared it to Dune because Dune is also a science fiction project of huge, huge ambition and massive world building that also kind of failed, right? And obviously it's based on a novel, so it's, it's very, it comes from a very, very different place, but I think that is an apt comparison for that reason. Yeah, I th- I think so, and like I I I was I was critiquing Jupiter Ascending in comparison to the Dune novel, rather than the Dune movie, right. because I think I'd that that's a whole yeah, other story. Too between Jupiter Ascending and Dune by David Lynch, I'm not sure which one I think is worse. I think Jupiter Ascending is much more entertaining to watch, and like it didn't have Sting in like shiny eagle pants uh, <laughs> stinging a metal codpiece yeah um it didn't have a scene where someone's milking a cat for no goddamn reason either um which <laughs> happens in happens in david lynch's dune apropos of nothing it's not in the source material at any point either if you read dune there is no point where where someone milks a cat for poison and um so david lynch clearly thought right this is a great idea to throw into this book that's already really difficult to understand let's let's have a scene where someone's milking a cat and let's have it drag on for a really long time um june the movie is fascinating like it's a fascinating fascinating film um but yeah i think like it's it but you're right it's it's two science fiction films that bit off more than they could chew um and like i think there'd be the potential in jupiter ascending if it wasn't so intrinsically tied to a romance from like the opening yeah. narration, it's all tied to romance and it's all tied to Mila Kunis wanting to find true love. And she, yeah. she does find it. She finds it with a dog-eared man with hover boots, which to be fair. Yeah. I mean, it has a very, very cute ending. They smooch. It, yeah. And, and like, I, I think, you know, he's, he's quite a cat. She's got hover boots. He's loyal. He's, yeah if if anyone tries to attack you he's gonna bite them yep um he always eats whatever's on his plate <laughs> a, or in his he, bowl 
<laughs> yeah, he's a he's a really he'd be a really good boyfriend. Um, yeah, but it feels like the romance is not strictly necessary. Really, it feels like they grafted on a very cheesy romantic plot onto some actually very very extraordinary and ambitious sci-fi world building, and you know it was never going to work, was it? But it's no. still kind of it still kind of does anyway because there is chemistry between them as as actors they have chemistry I th- I thought and the there are the few scenes where you know she just starts starts flirting with him quite cheesily and you're like okay this is where it's going nothing wrong with that yeah it, it, it's it's that kind of um, it's that kind of um, thing that that Twilight tries to do where it's like tagging on this romance into something that's not necessarily seen as a romantic genre. But I think like this does it in a lot more entertaining, a a much more entertaining way than um, Twilight does. Yeah. It's not brooding, is it? No, no. It's, it's like that there is this hokey and and it is a really hokey romance really, isn't it? Um, Although Channing Tatum is definitely a wolf boy in this film, he is definitely a wolf boy. This is if if you were watching the Twilight movies and you were thinking, "I'm on Team Wolf Boy," this is the movie for you because here Wolf Boy gets the girl. Girl is a wolf. Is a wolf boy boy with like anti gravity roller skate Starlight Express shoes, and they're amazing. Yeah, this this time round, the girl's given the choice between Wolf Boy and creepy posh looking weirdo wolf boy and a creepy posh weirdo who wants to marry his own mother yes which to be fair you can kind of imagine edward cullen doing the same thing Um, yeah oh yeah he'd he'd totally marry his own mother given the choice titus titus dishwasher um he (laughs) is uh he is uh he's effectively the edward cullen of this movie apart from titus sillip bang titus sillip bang he is he is the Apart from he's evil instead of just creepy unintentionally, um, but yeah. So he and and there is that brief sort of like marry me and we can save the universe and save your planet and it's not a real marriage but I show you that I care about people. But then it it's all like it's a ruse. He's not really he's not really good. He's evil just like the rest of them. He's just slightly less evil than creepy voice Eddie Redmayne. Yeah, he's not over the top cheesy cheesy evil like Redmayne. He's qu- he's quietly evil. Yeah. And he see, he seems like a very nice young man. You'd invite him around for dinner, wouldn't you? You'd want him to meet he your would, parents. Yeah, yeah. Um, it would be a mistake because he might eat them. But um... yeah, but he'd be nice to your dad first. He'd ask him about what he was looking at in the Racing Post or whatever. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> he's kind of um, he's like the a real nasty capitalist. He he he's like the the posh. He he's like young donald trump effectively um yeah where whereas eddie redmayne is like outright evil yeah he's like over over the top evil incredibly cheesy evil like generic cheesy but hilarious evil his performance steals the show for me yeah he's just so so funny and i feel like i feel like it's it as a film it is self-aware or at least it's just self-aware enough that it knows that it's being a bit cheesy and it has fun with it. And I felt like all of the actors went into it with that in mind. And for that reason, it works even though it shouldn't. Yeah, I completely agree with you on that. Because um, this movie was very, very roundly criticised. 
And like I'm yeah. watching it and I'm thinking, why did people hate this so much? Like I'm really enjoying watching it. You've got dog eared Channing Tatum, you've got you've got every like girl next door Mila Kunis character, you've got Sean Bean not dying for once. Yes. Yeah. Um you've got super evil, creepy voiced Eddie Redmayne, you've got Martin Shkreli, Titus Abraxax, you've got <laughs> um he is like if Martin Shkreli cleaned himself up, isn't he? Yeah, he's, if Martin Shkreli was given the ability to travel through space and time, he would end up like Titus, Titus dishwasher cleaner. Um, and and yeah, it's got all these really random, a, a random assortment of characters. And like often with these big bloated science fiction movies, you find that things like character really go out of the window. But at least here, everybody feels really individual. They don't blend together. All of the characters kind of, they feel, they they pop out at you and you're like, oh yeah, that's that person. I recognise that person. That person did this and they were, they were weird in this way. And at the very least, like, whatever the criticisms of this film, it's an interesting movie and the characters are interesting. And even though it's completely off the wall 90% of the time, at least it's doing something interesting with it. Yeah. And I, I agree with all of that, but I still think it was too plot and action driven and not character driven enough but that's because the characters were so interesting that i wanted more of them i i think it it could actually have done really well as like a 10 part netflix series you know or something like that where you know you got really really deep into the characters and didn't have these long like shooty laser scenes that were just unnecessary and that i found quite boring i was like you know get on to redmayne talking about killing his mum and stuff you know that's much more interesting yeah, get on to Douglas Booth and his his weird Freudian desire to marry his mother. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody wants to marry or kill their mother in this movie. It's great. Um, I don't. Did you watch um, Altered Carbon? No, I did not. I hear very very good things. Yeah, because that was that was really good, and it. it, it I, I remember reading the book of that many years ago, back when I was one of my friends at work sold the rights to Netflix. Oh, sweet! That's a that was a yeah. very good move because it ended up being great. Um, yeah. But um, but yeah, that that does the whole future capitalism thing incredibly well because the only people that can afford to live forever effectively in the future of Alter Carbon are the incredibly rich, and it leads them to become really weird people, and and this kind of has and Jupiter Ascending kind of has the same thing where it's like these are just humans, like they might not come from Earth but they're humans, but they keep regenerating their their themselves and making themselves young again off the literal bodies of people who are beneath them yeah the horror of that isn't explored yeah and so like Like, again yeah they could have explored the like really horrible aspect of that so much more and you know that would have been a completely different but also very interesting film yeah exactly and like that and and that's the kind of thing that like it would be really cool if it was a series but at the same time like the, the directors often do this in their films. So, like, the, the whole core concept of The Matrix is so unbelievably horrible. And yeah. Like, I, I haven't seen the original film in many years, but I always remember the scene where he come, where Keanu Reeves comes out of The Matrix and, like, he's in that weird pod and he pulls that thing out of his mouth that's been keep giving him sustenance. And it's just extremely horrible body horror. Um, and, yeah. and the core concept is so unbelievably grotesque and this has the same kind of thing and they just kind of throw it out there and they're like now back to a guy with dog ears with hover boots shooting people <laughs> go back to that yeah 
I think I I found it more enjoyable than The Matrix. Although, as you say, I haven't seen The Matrix in a very long time. I remember seeing it when I was only about 13, I think. And, th- you know, when you're like, you're not sure if you're old enough to be watching a film, but you're at your mate's house and it's going on and you're like, oh, OK, this is happening. And I was really wowed by it. I was really impressed by it. Um, and I liked it a lot. Uh, but I think if I was to watch them both again now, I think Jupiter Ascending would win out for me because it's just so fun. It really, it makes, even though The Matrix is so good, it makes The Matrix look po-faced because it's so, it's so silly. Yeah, because The Matrix does take itself quite seriously. And like I, I imagine if I went back and watched The Matrix now, I think I'd still like it more than Jupiter Ascending because I think it's one of those, it's one of those core cool action movies that really changed the face of that kind of blockbuster cinema. Um, and I don't think there's much that you can take away from that, particularly given how much wonderful imagery there was in it. Um, like, it's a brilliantly directed film. Um, just, yeah, I think it's kind of been soured by the sequels that came after it, which doesn't do the original I film justice. I remember seeing both of them and remember thinking that they were very bad. Yeah, they're terrible. And and there's there was lots of people in denial about the second movie in the Matrix trilogy and saying, oh, no, it's still good, it's still good. It's like, no, they're both awful films. Like the the original Matrix is great, Matrix two and three, they the 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 directors the Wachowskis they just wanted to make two movies, but they got forced into doing three by the studio, and it really shows. Um, but yeah, whereas here I'd quite happily watch a Jupiter Ascending trilogy. I absolutely would, yeah. And you feel like the Wachowskis came up with it with that in mind, but it probably wasn't successful enough for it to ever carry it off. But the world of it is massive. There's so much you could do with it. Yeah. Um, and I, this is probably the most expensive to make movie we've watched on this podcast. Probably, yeah. Because the budget, well, compared to, I guess it's a completely different genre than what we usually talk about, isn't it? And where the budgets are just generally higher. So there's so much more investment. And also they probably have like much higher marketing budgets as well. And I think a lot of that is to do is why it ended up getting so roundly criticized because these kind of films are always advertised heavily they get a really really good like all-star cast you know it only came out two years ago like Channing Tatum Mila Kunis huge names Channing Tatum I believe was just fresh off the back of Magician Michael so like there weren't any any bigger stars than Channing Tatum around at the time Redmayne as well he's like massive you know it's and people there it's an event film and people people expect so much of it um and go into it thinking that it has to be this huge groundbreaking thing when actually it's just a silly romp and people people's expectations are unfair i think actually yeah so cuz this movie costs apparently 176 million dollars to make Whew. um it got that money back it it didn't oh, that, it wasn't a flop it did make that, that's a good it didn't make much of a profit as i understand it but it did all right um but um but yeah it did not do as well as expected um which is which i always find interesting because like this movie is is a lot better than the transformers films oh fuck um, the transformers films which consistent fu- which consistent fuck michael bay as well and they consistently make like so much money back out of complete crap um you know you know why? It's because my main man Shia LaBeouf. He's not even in them anymore, though, and they still. Oh, really? Money? Yeah, he he did the three, and then I think they replaced him for the fourth, or maybe he did Is... four, and then they replaced him. He, it then had Mark Wahlberg, and I don't know if they've still got uh, Mark Wahlberg. 
Uh, Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> Is Shia LaBeouf in Dark Side of My Butt? Or whatever it's called. Yeah, he's in that one, I think. And it, Dark of the Moon. Because <laughs> they couldn't call it Dark Side of the Moon or else Pink Floyd would sue them. Yeah. And they'd um, have had every right to. <laughs> How dare you associate us with this shoddy piece of cinema? Yeah. We are only I've only seen... associated with The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> I've only se- I've only seen one of the Transformers films. I think it's like the first of the new ones, and it is bad and silly. I I but not not silly saw, in a good way. I inexplicably saw the entire first three at the cinema because every time I'd be like, "Oh, let's go see this instead," and the people that I'd be with would then be like, "No, let's go watch Transformers." Uh, and, you and need every- to find some new friends <laughs> and every time I'd be like oh, for god's sake why are we watching this like, it's, it's, they're so bad they're so unbelievably bad um yeah I, but I they hate... gross they gross loads there's a whole bunch of like generic shit in there that like grosses loads and loads of money when yeah undeservingly compared to films like jupiter ascending where it's you know write the director team with a great tracker track record who have huge vision and know how to execute it and to have fun with it and also to make something that hasn't been done before. But the reason it's become a bit of a cult classic is because of its its appreciation of, you know, female protagonists and turning a few of those sci-fi tropes on its head without being too heavy-handed or po-faced about it either. Um, and films with that level of ambition obviously deserve to do well, but they'll never do as well as Michael Bay shit because Michael Bay and, you know, Peter Rabbit is still number one at the box office. So, you know. Too much. I even... <laughs> I know I keep bringing it up, but I I haven't even seen it, and I just know it's a crime against cinema and against children's literature. But but like what I don't get right, the Wachowskis created created the Matrix. You know, like whatever you think of the latest the later films, it's still this massive phenomenon. Like people remember that movie. Um, they did Cloud Atlas, which by all accounts was a pretty decent mm. adaptation i have not seen it actually but obviously we studied the book and it's an it's an incredible book i think i was i was just a bit apprehensive because i love the book so much um and yeah they, they did a decent job with it i think um it's a little cool. bit more like action heavy but it's kind of what you'd expect from a from a from a big movie adaptation of it um but then off the back of that they went on to go and do sense eight um which i've heard is really good i haven't actually watched it yet um but it i've heard very good things about that as well and it stars um the woman who plays the third um Sillip bang sibling yes, yeah. in tuppence middleton jupiter ascending who yeah who has a hilarious british name <laughs> tuppence middleton <laughs> fantastic name sounds like a, a princess like a made-up princess in some lifetime movie like a christmas prince or whatever it sounds like that Yes, exactly. It it really does. It it's a it is a minor character in Great Expectations, isn't it? Um, yeah, that kind of. Thing. But her performance in Jupiter Ascending is is very good, and she tries to befriend the new royal Mila Kunis, and they have a bit of a laugh, and then she's stolen away, and that's it. Yes, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I've not seen Sensei, but it's it's quite interesting that like they had this breakout success with the Matrix. They they had critical acclaim with Cloud Atlas. Then they did Jupiter Ascending, which which people think of as a terrible film. And they like they took a step back and they did this great TV show. And I'm interested to see what they do next. Um, yeah. 
because yeah it's like and, and what i love about them is like whatever the flaws of their filmmaking and their and their storytelling they have interesting ideas and they convey interesting ideas in a compelling way so like it doesn't really matter that jupiter ascending is completely insane and that it's it's and that and that it's vaguely incomprehensible because like they yeah, do it it's in not such a... it's not easy to follow no, <laughs> i and... just about followed it but there were bits where i was like what what's happening now and it's it's <laughs> such an enjoyable film to watch that yeah i'm i'm on board with it i don't I, going into this i was kind of dreading watching it i was like oh god what's what's paddy got me into and like and like after the first <laughs> five minutes i was like oh jesus christ what is this paddy are we going to have to cancel the podcast? Yeah, right. Because because we hate this film. So you much. even you even texted me saying, "What is this film?" Yes. And that's usually not a good. That's not a good sign. <laughs> if you text me about the film at all, it's usually to blame me for forcing you to watch some terrible bullshit. Yeah, but 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 instead, um, I really got captivated by it, and part of it was because it was so like there was so much stupid stuff going on. Um, it's like if you took one of M Night Shyamalan's bad movies but made it really entertaining. So it's got all of that really inane dialogue that sort of comes out of nowhere and is just super weird. Like, have you seen The Happening? No. I've always been put off by the worst title in the history of film. But... <laughs> and the worst and the worst concept in the history of film that plants suddenly start making people kill themselves. Um, it's, it's, it's <laughs> Alan great. Titchmarsh isn't that bad. <laughs> That's what it was, you see. It was just a revolt. All these plants were just like, I'm sick yeah. of Alan Titchmarsh whispering racist stuff at me as he waters me. Let's kill all of humanity. Um, yeah, so it's, but um, but there's all these minor characters in it that just say this really random stuff out of nowhere. So there's this guy that they meet who, and and they're like, they get a, they get a lift with him. And on the journey, he just starts saying like, do you like hot dogs? Hot dogs get a bad rep full of protein they're good for you and like that, that's the entirety <laughs> of his character that's brilliant um, that's the then, that's the kind of mad shit you get in a wachowski film but yeah, in it yeah. and that, but it doesn't feel out of place because you're expecting a little bit of a little bit of mad stuff whereas m night shorty what is kind of he's po-faced to use that expression again yeah, he takes he takes himself very seriously and i think that's why people always mock him but I think that's part of the reason why there's still this debate over whether the happening is is supposed to be overly corny deliberately because it's got all of those kind of lines. But but they do turn up in all of his films. There's like the odd bit of strange dialogue. And I think it comes down to the fact that it's one person doing it all. Um, it's, it's just that kind of stuff slips through because they don't have someone to go, wait a minute, why is this guy saying that he likes hot dogs? Or like later on, there's this old woman who's like, are you planning to kill me in my sleep? Are you eyeing up my lemon drink? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's that's his version of someone milking a cat, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And, and, and like, and and like, whenever you watch a Wachowski's movie, um, there are those weird bits of dialogue here and there, and, and, and in the Matrix, there's even that. But they they're really good at using that to like, in a very short amount of time, give you an idea about what a character's all about. I love that they um, managed to shoehorn in that um, the Silip Bang Royals were responsible for the, killing the dinosaurs somehow. Oh, that was so good. I didn't quite follow it, but there was definitely like a long scene where they just dropped in that, of course, all of the big like events on Earth have to do with the big space people because that's how you fit our Earth into the the 
incredible, huge, weird universe that they're building to make it relatable, so to make you relate to the protagonists. Because, so, of course, you'd be like, oh, yeah, of course, the dinosaurs. Well, I, I think the idea was that they've discovered this planet and they were like, hey, this planet's suitable for humans to live on. Oh, there's these creatures there that are quite nasty. Let's kill them all. And then they just wiped out all of the, the, the dangerous life on the planet and then put down human genetic material. Right. That I think that's sense. basically what they were getting at. Um, but yeah, there's, there's so much weird stuff and, and, and so much of it is just throwaway nonsense um, that never really comes up again. And I love it all the better for it because you feel like you're kind of a stranger who's been thrown into this situation with no real understanding. And they're just like, yeah, just deal with it. Yeah, deal much with this- like the protagonist of the film herself. Exactly. Um, and yeah, so I, I, I kind of love this film. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, me too. I thought it was. I thought it was a lot of fun. It was very, very enjoyable. I, the the action scenes bored me, but overall, it was just you know, it was just anticip- building up the anticipation until I could see Eddie Redmayne on stage, being creepy and hoarse. <laughs> yeah, and and yeah, the the fight scenes and the action scenes drag on too long, um, and I think like if they'd had a kind of Guardians of the Galaxy style pacing where the fight scenes are that much shorter and quicker. Still it not seen it. Could have done the world. Oh, mate, you need to get on that. Um, it, it, it it would have done it the world of good. So a lot of the fight scenes feel quite bloated. A lot of the action set pieces feel like they're over long. Um, but when the, when they're done nice and quickly, they're quite good. So like when Dogman first turns up, and it's all like, "You're not going to kill Jupiter. I'm going to shoot you, and I'm going to fly around on my hover boots." And it's only a little, it's only a short scene, and then he's, and then they're off onto something else. And it, if they kept up the pace like that, it could have been better. I yeah, think. but there are two or three almost identical scenes of him being shooty in his spaceship, where each one just looks like a new level of Star Fox sixty four, and you're like, okay, I've I've had enough of this now. <laughs> it, not that they, not that that isn't one of my favorite video games of all time, but they they feel a lot like yeah. um like the Star Wars prequels in that there's a lot going on but there's no real dramatic tension behind it because it all feels so artificial and and it's something that the new star wars movies have managed to avoid they've managed to get that tone just right for their space battles and they all feel very real um whereas this is kind of just like throw everything at the screen and so you don't you don't really get that sense of danger or anything like that when 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 these space battles are taking place. No, I couldn't really tell what was going on. Although I did enjoy the fight, the sort of fight between Eddie Redmayne and Mila Kunis at the end, and when the the dinosaur man got like trapped in the floor, got his neck trapped in the floor. That was enjoyable. That was fun. Yeah, and you can tell there's these little moments in there where like, oh yeah, these guys know what they're doing with action. Um, it, it overall it feels a little bit overdone, but there's still those snippets there where you're like, oh yeah, the, these guys did bullet time. They know what they're doing. Yeah, and there is a little like there are a few little slow mo bullet time homage type m- moments, aren't there? Yeah, yeah. There's the odd bit here and there to sort just to sort of give you a little wink and a nod. Yeah, um, there's a lot of like knowing jokes in it as well. Like there was a very very good in joke or like a nerdy joke when um she she's like after the like Benny Hillish set piece where they go around all the like different bits of the bureaucracy trying to get her like royal forms done, which is really incongruous and really stupid, but still quite funny. Um, 
she tells Douglas Booth, I think it's Douglas Booth, it, she tells him to stop because he's in violation of um, law number 27B slash 6. Do you know what 27B slash 6 is a reference to? No, what's that a reference to? Um, have you heard of David Thorne? Oh, yeah, yeah. He He's the um, New York Times best-selling author of a bunch of very, very silly but very funny books, and his website is called 27B slash 6. Oh, okay, yeah. I thought that was um, a very, very fun little Easter egg for people who like memes. He did that thing yeah, where, you know, he's, he sends the woman a JPEG of a spider and then asks for it back. Yeah, I've I've got um I've got one of his books. I've got I'll go home then it's warm and has chairs. Um which is very funny. And and yeah, he he did a lot of the um he got famous for for um doing lots of sort of like pranks around his office as like a as as sort of like a designer um and sort of making fun of one of his colleagues and things like that. He's a prankster. He is indeed. A very yeah. funny one of that. I, yeah, I so they dropped in a little reference to that, which I really, really appreciated. Like a film that is able to do that and it not be incongruous or feel forced is a good film. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah, so there's, it's clear a lot of care and attention went into this movie. Um, yeah. And and I can't... I know a lot of people hate it, but I don't. I like it. I like, no, I like I, it quite a lot. It's I like it. And I especially appreciate that people are starting to appreciate it now. And it's it's been it's now being regarded as a, a cult classic that's outside of the mainstream, but has found its audience, which people say is a lot of the kind of Tumblr generation, like, you know, younger people, people who are younger than us, you know, who are seeing their... It's, people talk about it as also being like prepubescent fantasies being enacted on screen. And there is an element of that as well. It's an... You know, it's very, very. It is silly and it is juvenile, and only the Wachowskis could get away with it because they'd be able, they could command that kind of money for this kind of film. So the combination of all of those things, you know, is something that most people I think don't want to acknowledge or can't acknowledge because they don't care about the fantastical part or they don't care about the Wachowskis or whatever or they want more from the cast. But overall, it's it's very, it's just very, very fun, and the romance element of it is very, very cheesy and it feels grafted on. But they have chemistry. So you're like, okay, fine. I want them to smooch now. Smooch the dog, man. And then there's the moment when he says to her, he says, I have more in common with a dog than with you. And she goes, I love dogs. Yeah, that was really good. <laughs> I've always loved dogs. And um, then she says it yeah. again. She says, I love dogs again. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed that. I really I really enjoyed that. Um, yeah, there's all this, there's all these cute little moments in it. And it's... Yeah, it's really nice. Um, I I wholeheartedly recommend this film to people if they like silly sci-fi stuff. Then um, then to get on board, it it it's it's a really it's a really enjoyable watch. Yeah, it's it's good garbage. It is. It's good garbage. Like there's and there's enough. If you if you're thinking about it, there's enough horrible stuff in the background to make you really think about the ramifications. It's like, um, it's that whole fridge logic thing, isn't it? Where you'll be you'll be watching this movie, and then like two hours later, you'll be like, oh my god! Like you think about all the ramifications about what this world actually entails and what this universe they put together actually entails. Um, and yeah, so yeah, it's all um, it's all uh, yeah, fascinating stuff. It does make you think. 
you know there is a there is actually a, a smart message about consumerism and capitalism and youth and all of those things buried in there it's just that it's buried behind Eddie Redmayne talking like this and wearing eyeliner <sighs> Yeah, there's there's all this interesting thematic stuff going on behind dog-eared man with hover boots shooting aliens. It's brilliant. It's got ev- whatever you're after in a movie. Jupiter Ascending has it. You can find it somewhere in this film. I guarantee yeah. it. Yeah. Oh dear. Yeah, it's good. So are we um, are we done? Do you have anything more to say? Any trivia? Yeah. So I've got some trivia for you. Um, the first thing was, I've just been looking through, and actually, that's not the first reference to 27B-6. And I think I need to throw in my 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 film lover's card this for not recognising it until I read this page. But it's actually a reference to Brazil, um, Terry ah, um, which right. makes sense given that a lot of Brazil is all about like bureaucracy and stuff like that, that it comes up in that scene where they're being bogged down by bureaucracy. Gotcha. Um, which, yeah, which makes sense. And obviously, Terry Gilliam had a little little scene in the movie as well so it's all yeah the man himself that he's um, he's he's looking well isn't he he is yeah yeah um good old uh, monty python stuff let's see um he's, he's 77 not doing too badly for himself doing right yeah in terms of uh other stuff uh channing tatum had to wear a mouthpiece to change the shape of his lower jaw to realistically portray a part canine character. This unfortunately prevented him from closing his mouth and gave him trouble when he had to talk. <laughs> and it it does look like it, to be fair. It does, yeah. It doesn't look like the most comfortable thing to wear. He's always um, kind of frowning, or he always looks like he's just slightly in pain. Yes, yeah. Like he's... Um, sat on his coccyx or something uh yeah he he's clearly like he he's a dog who's wearing a, a collar that's a bit too tight he's clearly a bit annoyed he'd rather be running free wants to be let let off the lead um in terms of other trivia Nat- natalie portman was originally cast as jupiter but had to drop out as well which would oh, be quite interesting interesting um okay yeah i don't feel like she has the the ability to do sort of comic cheese that Mila Kunis does. I don't feel like she can laugh at herself in the same way, but maybe I just haven't seen her in enough of those kind of roles. Yeah, because she's in that... Um... But you wouldn't sign up for this kind of film if you couldn't, right? No, exactly. You wouldn't have thought you'd be able to. Um... Or did she just want a bit of bit of Tatum action? Maybe she just wanted some Tatum. I mean, who wouldn't? Don't, I mean, don't we all? Yeah. Um, another. I'll, I'll, I'll leave off with one last bit of trivia here. Um, so, um, Sean Bean's character, Stinger Apini, which is still a great name, um, he's, his whole life is now a reference to Sherlock Holmes because Sherlock Holmes had retired to the Sussex Downs and kept bees in the short story, His Last Bow. Um, so, wow. so his whole character, I did not know that. That background of his character is a little reference to Sherlock Holmes, which is quite sweet. Um, yeah, so so yeah, so that that will do it for the trivia, I think. Um, have you got anything else to add on the movie? That's good. That's good trivia. Uh, no, I don't think so. Um, they also slipped in a joke about royals not pooing, which is always very enjoyable. Oh yes. as everyone knows, the the queen doesn't poo. 
No, well, well, the the way that the royals pass waste is for a cloaca, isn't it? Um, yeah, like, like birds. <laughs> <laughs> the other day, the other day, I had to Google do birds fart, <laughs> and do you know what the answer is? <laughs> no, what is the answer? The answer is no. They don't. They don't fart. Does the cloaca not allow them to? No, fart? it's no. It's basically just a constant stream of like. Of shit and piss, <laughs> oh, which incidentally is um, Michael Bay's world building. <laughs> it's also the name <laughs> of my first autobiography. <laughs> it's just you know all, all this talk about internet security and privacy and everyone seeing what they're doing with their data and everything. If Google somehow just releases all my data to the world. Yeah, there's there's stuff in there that I'm worried about, but I'm mainly just worried that they'll know someone will know that I googled "do birds fart" at eleven eleven thirty seven p.m. Long after I'd gotten into bed. <laughs> I'm just imagining you like you, you're drifting off to sleep, and then you suddenly start up with a gasp and grab your phone and just search "do birds fart." And then now that you've got your answer, well, no, I was um, I was I was having a good conversation with my wife about it, of course, and she didn't know the answer either. Oh, okay. I can't remember how it came up, but I needed to know the answer immediately. There we go. That that sounds slightly more logical. Um, but yeah, that, well, I'm I'm pleased to know that now. I feel like my my world is a better one for knowing that birds. Yeah, do not definitely. So, um. Yeah, so so what ranking system do we want? What rating system do we want for Jupiter? This ascending? is a tough one. How many planets do you need to harvest to keep yourself youthful? Oh, I like that. Yeah, mm, I'm gonna go with, and this is gonna be controversial. Twenty for anyone who's like a. F- <laughs> I'm going for 20. no, but I'm go- I'm gonna go for I'm gonna go for a fourteen okay. right here. Which puts it well above the critical reception of this movie, and quite, quite high above the 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 viewer reception of this movie. But I really enjoyed this film. It was it was really dumb, but also had some clever stuff going on in the background, and it was really silly. Um, and and like it had a it did have a relatively decent romance in it, all things considered, considering that the movie was based around like millennia aged humans who own planets and dogmen um having a having a having a romance in it worked quite well yeah i mean con- considering the fact that the romance felt was also very tacked on um i think it actually did quite well and it was compelling and you wanted them to get together and you were rooting for them and you were glad when he came back to save her from from titus titus flash at the altar you know you you were <laughs> you felt you felt happy about that, so no, I I totally agree with that. I think it's a film that shouldn't work but does, and you know there are a lot of films. It's not a cinematic masterpiece, you know. There there are a lot there are a lot of things about it that are very very silly, but it's silly in a good way. It's self aware. It's tongue in cheek. It's fun, and there's not much out there like it as well. It's tropey but not generic, which is quite a difficult thing to pull off. Um, so I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it a 13 as well. Wait, did you say 13 or 14? 
Oh, you said 40. Okay, I I'm going to give it a 13. Which, again, I think is above the critical reception. So, you know, yes. that's evening out at a 13.5. So let's, let's just quickly look back look back at the chart. So it's well above table 19. It's above Seeking a Friend <laughs> for the End of the World. And it's, it's only half a point behind Before Sunrise, which is like a hipster classic. So it's doing very, very well. Okay, I think we've learned... I think, you know, maybe if Mila Kunis had had Ethan Hawke's terrible beard, <laughs> it might have bumped it up. Channing Tatum's beard isn't dissimilar in this film. It should <laughs> have true, just been actually. two hours of them, like, maybe walking, like, like, going through space on his hover boots, just shooting the shit. That would have been good. Oh, I, I do have actually have one little factoid for you. So Mila Kunis um, is going to be in the next movie from the writer and director of Life Oh, cool. Pants, um, which is called, and I don't know if this bodes well or not, it's called The Spy Who Dumped Me. <laughs> and it's about these, uh, one of, one of uh, so it's got Mila Kunis and Kate McKinnon, and one of them um, finds out that their boyfriend who dumped them was actually a spy. That is extremely my shit. And, and that's... Yeah, I'm I'm on board with this, and I kind based of on based on that that title, the, the the writer and the act and the inclusion of Mila Kunis, that's got to be a hit. Yeah, I reckon so. Um, it's it's it's. I will be, watch right? the heck out of good. that film. Yeah, I'm on board with it. Um, but for next week, oh, before I can move on to next week's movie, do you have? Uh, no, I, I don't. I think I'm done. I was just saying this scores a full five points higher than the Bridges of Madison County, so that tells you everything you need to know. Well deserved as well, right there. Yeah. So no, that's good. It's a very enjoyable week, and also, I I said we I I got my days mixed up, so this is actually our fiftieth episode. So I think it's fitting that reaching oh, that wow. milestone was. A very very interesting film. Yes, I'm glad, um, and and that does make my because I was a bit worried about my choice of movie that it might be a bit odd for a 50th episode. But now that it's the yeah. 51st, hey, the, that's fine. The 51st state. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so so we have we have seen what sci-fi romance can offer at one extreme: bombastic space opera dog ears hover boots laser fights um i'm going to stick with science fiction but i'm going to change the tone altogether um so we are going to be watching alex garland's oh nice i've never seen it i'm sure you have seen it i i have seen it yes (laughs) cool Um, there's is there romance in it there ah, is indeed. Cool. I mean, uh, what a um, stupid question. Of course, there's romance in it. It's, you've, you've chosen it, but I... <laughs> there is there is no romance in this movie yeah. whatsoever. No, yeah, there is there is romance in it, but is it the romance <laughs> you expect? That is a question you will be answering as you. Okay, watch. I'm intrigued. Is it? It's going to be robots. Is it going to be horse fate, horse voiced red mane type? Is the is it going to be villainous? I'm intrigued. I know very little about it actually. Well, spoiler alert, but it's about a guy with dog ears and hover boots. Cool. That's that sounds like a nice continuation of our current themes. I li- I like the direction <laughs> that we're moving in. Um yeah, we're now going to become a purely hover boot based um podcast. Yeah. We'll get our own hover boots and every week we'll just we'll just have adventures. 
Exactly. Hoverboot Adventures. Big boots don't cry. <laughs> big big boots do float. <laughs> very good, very good. Cool. Do we have I don't think we have anything else to talk about, do we? No one's uh, no, no one, I think that's no it. one's emailed us in since last week. Um this, the cage challenge is open, you can still do it. I haven't done my portrait for Adam yet. Um but I know what I'm going to do, so that's gonna be something. But I'm sitting you have seen what I've done. Yeah. I your incredibly glorious work. I feel like everyone has to everyone has to see it eventually. But Yeah, well we'll we'll leave it up to Adam as to whether he's he's happy for us to share it wider. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, he he now has intellectual property ownership of it. Yeah, that's how uh, the cage challenge works. Yes, exactly. Um, yep. So, yeah. So maybe you will all see it. We'll, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Maybe. Uh, Adam also tweeted us to say he'd never heard of Life Partners but thought it was excellent and says re- required viewing for anyone of a similar age, a.k.a. hashtag millennials, it felt like the writers were speaking directly to me at times, he says. So I think we did good with that one. And yeah, if, you, if you're listening to this episode and you haven't listened to the previous one, we talked about Life Partners, go watch it. You know, even if maybe you're more of a more of a sci-fi fan than a kind of indie indie slacker rom-com type film, have a go with Life Partners. I think you'll find it very relatable and fun. Yeah, it's a great movie. Despite um, the lack of... definitely give it a go. Lack of dog ears and hover boots. Yeah, there are no hover boots in it, but at the same time... There is a Subaru, so is there a Subaru? Bikes. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> How many Wolf Boys can you fit in a Subaru? That's the question. You just got to make sure you leave the window open so they don't, you know. Oh yeah, Wolf Boys die in hot cars. <laughs> they do, but they survive in hot spaceships. Apparently, they do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right okay yeah i think we should i'm slowly losing my mind here yeah i've I've got too much jupiter ascending stuck in my brain you've got the the red mane on the brain (laughs) yeah exactly insane in the red mane (laughs) (laughs) all right yeah we hope you guys enjoyed jupiter ascending it's an excellent film if you haven't watched it go watch it because it is bonkers and awesome um yeah do it it, we will be back next week to talk about ex machina uh, as always, tweet us at Big Boys Don't Pod or email us at Big Boys Don't Cry Podcast at gmail.com. Always love to hear from you. And do rate, review, comment, subscribe, whatever. Do do the do the hashtag engagement thing that you gotta do right now. You know, so that when Google people Google this podcast they don't find out that I Googled the bird's fart. Instead, you know, it comes up with nice things. So help get that out of my algorithm somehow. That's how it works, right? That's exactly how it works. Yep, that's good interneting. <laughs> good internet, everybody. <Yeah>. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>